from WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Close to Home, the podcast that explores the people, issues, and institutions in the Catskill Mountains, the heart of small-town America. I'm your host, Leif Johansson. Hey, we're back this week with our second installment on dairy farming in the Catskills. If you didn't get a chance to catch last week's episode, and you're not already familiar with the dairy industry, you might want to give that a listen before diving into this one. Find it wherever you procure your finest podcasts. Anyway, last week we looked at the history of dairy farming in our neck of the woods with Sullivan County historian John Conway, and we got a sense of where things stand now with local farmer Amy Erlewine. Today, I want to dive deeper into the policy side of things. And if you're not super familiar with how the state and federal government influence the dairy industry, don't worry, we're in the same boat. The reason I want to dedicate a whole episode to this, though, is because the government actually plays a huge role in this sector, and not just through food safety regulations. To a great extent, it's actually managing the entire dairy market. And because it takes such an active role in the dairy industry, That means that there's a lot of room for it to get creative in coming up with ways to help our dairy farms stay in business. And we see that all over the country. Many of the major dairy producing states have developed their own initiatives to support dairy farms. So I was curious what's happening on that front here in New York. One of the big major things that affects whatever state, all the states, it's a federal milk pricing structure. And that was initiated way back in the early 1900s, and not much has changed since. That's Michelle Prosha, the agriculture educator at the Sullivan County Cornell Cooperative Extension. So the way that uh, dairy farmers are paid is through basically a calculation set forth through the federal government based on... I... I can't even tell you all the uh, the components that go through. Um, it's got a lot to do with um, obviously market prices, feed prices, um, global economy. Um, you know, every little bit here is kind of tallied up into what they refer to as the federal milk price. So milk is kind of unique in that respect, right? I mean, if I want to go to the store and buy a socket wrench to fix my sink, um, the price of that socket wrench really just depends on how much it costs to produce the socket wrench and get the socket wrench into the store that's selling it and the profit margin of the store and what the demand is on that socket wrench versus the supply of socket wrenches out there. I mean, it's just, it's, it's purely just the market for socket wrenches, but it sounds like dairy doesn't really work like that at all. No, no, absolutely not. No, it's, it's one of the more complicated price pricing structures out there. And, um, you know, some of the best, even our Cornell dairy economists, you know, they, um, they are brilliant in their own mind. And to be able to kind of explain <laughs> the federal milk pricing structure is a bit complicated. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for our dairy farmers, no matter where you are, some things like that, they just don't have control over. In addition to being regulated by the um, federal milk pricing structure, then another layer would be their cooperative that they're a part of and how they structure their payments too. So, you know, when you're looking at a milk check, you know, you see your 
your basic, your all milk price, your price of your components, butterfat, protein, and, you know, any other deductions that are taken out through the co-op, you know, as far as being a part of it and things like that. So, you know, it's just when you look on the on the TV or you look on, on any of the USDA pricing structures, you might see $23, 100 weight or something like that for milk. But then the deductions at the end of that day after that, um, you know, don't equal $23 anymore. As but, in don't equal $23 going to the farmer? Correct. Yep. I yep. see. Yep. So it's less all the other fees that are associated with it. So so why would a farmer want to join a co-op in the first place if there is some option to just sell their milk directly to a processor or I, I guess for that matter to you know, develop uh, value-added products? Well, a, a lot of times, um, you know, farmers more or less, um, you, you could say farmers just want to farm, Right. So they don't want to deal with the business marketing end of it. You know, it's it's to to get your milk processed or go through a processor. It's not just like picking up the phone saying, hey, can I dump a, a truckload of milk here? You know, it's negotiation, it's pricing, it's complicated. So uh, to be a part of a, a co-op, um, more or less, the milk truck comes, um, picks up your milk and picks up everybody else's milk that's part of that co-op and drives it to the processor and that farmer gets a check. Alternately, doing things like um, value added products, you know, whether that be on your farm yourself, that's a whole nother business, you know, so you have to then milk the cows, then make the cheese, then sell the cheese, you know, it's, that's difficult too. And they're, you know, there's really only so many hours in a day (laughs) to be fair for farmers. So. And I suspect that there's a lot of very expensive machinery that one would have to outfit their farm with in order to be able to do that. And it could potentially be cost prohibitive to a relatively small to medium sized farm that's already struggling to make ends meet. It can be um, in with any venture, there's always an appropriate business plan or business model that can be you know, shown to show if uh, a venture has certain profit. But yeah, I mean, um, regulating or regulations for milk value added products is, you know, it's food safety, it's cleanliness, it's, you know, a building, it's packaging, labeling, you know, it it, it is a lot, but don't get me wrong, um, dairy farmers are not um, opposed to regulation. They are very confident and they deal with it daily. Um, you know, milk inspectors, um, cleanliness, you know, the whole nine. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it just adds another layer and, you know, for a farmer that already has a lot to do in a day to do those additional things, just to sell their milk. Uh, most are confident with the way that their co-op, um, with how the interactions work between the co-op and the farmer. So I'd love to get a little bit more onto the maybe state policy side of things here. Obviously, dairy farmers in our community are struggling. John Conway, the county historian, was telling me that around the turn of the 20th century, there were something to the tune of 4,300 dairy farms in Sullivan County alone. And the latest numbers I could find, which were, I think, 2017, uh, looked like there were about 12 dairy farms in Sullivan County. So obviously this has been on decline for a long time. I was speaking to a dairy farmer recently who who 
told me that a lot of dairy farmers are just saddled with a huge amount of debt that is, you know, hard to work out of in a business that is often hard to be profitable in. So in your knowledge, what's being done at the state policy level to help dairy farmers and to make sure that they can stay in business and not just be outcompeted by much larger corporate farms that have economies of scale to their advantage that would just normally put them out of business? There is a lot of um, negative, you could say, with how, you know, dairy farmers, sometimes they just get the short end of the stick when it comes to pricing. Like they have no control over it as opposed to other industries where you can just charge more for something, you know, to make up your losses. Right. But dairy farmers, you know, other, other farmers as well, they just, they can't control it. But, you know, there was, um, there was a USDA service report um, for milk cost return that I did, I was reading up on. And it's important for folks to know that, that, you know, since the year 2000, there were only two years that the net value of milk production was not in the negative. So that means that for the past 18 years prior, basically farmers were producing milk and it cost them more to produce milk than what they were getting. So of course there's just a high debt load for these farmers. Right. And that's just, that's just kind of a fact. So um, the industry itself, even though milk is needed every day, Right. You think that farmers would get um, would, would see some kind of positive net return at some point. But just because of the cost of production, you know, including feed costs were so high. That's really one of the main factors that kind of um, drives the price of what farmers would receive down is the high cost of feed. Hmm. So that's not a, a obviously a good stat, but it's important for folks to know when you're buying things, um, say in a grocery store or, you know, always do your best to choose as local as you can. But um, as far as some of the state programs, um, because of these um, downfalls that the um, state and federal government has put out a couple of different programs that offer more or less it's their risk management or insurance options for farmers to kind of offset the cost of um, the negative return on their, on their milk check. A big one is called the dairy margin coverage. And basically this was uh, again, a voluntary risk management program through the USDA and more or less it's um an insurance option. So you would purchase this option based on uh, certain coverage levels to offset the cost of the milk. So it would be the difference between the all milk price and the average feed cost, which is the margin. And if that falls below a certain amount that is selected by the producer, then it would trigger a payment to offset the cost. Um, There's different coverage level options um, as far as as low as catastrophic, you know, or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as high as you want. But of course, the higher you go, the more, the more it costs you to purchase this insurance option. It's it's kind of like car insurance, you know, if you crash your car, you get, <laughs> you get money back, right? Right. Um, but the better, the better the insurance option that you choose, the more money you could get back. Type so thing. 
it's it's not necessarily just about the cost of feed or the price of milk. It's it's combined. So what, basically, what you're saying, if I understand correctly, is when the price of milk that you know the the money farmers are getting per hundred weight of of milk gets close enough to the cost of feed that the farmer is paying, that's when this insurance that that they've paid for would kick in. And would it then supplement the price of milk to make sure that that price doesn't go too low? Correct. So, so yes, it would trigger a payment based on the margin between the milk price and the feed cost, which as we know, the higher the feed cost, um, and if you have lower milk prices, the margin would be greater, which would trigger a payment right. um, for farmers. So, for example, um, a $9.50 coverage level triggered payments in, I think it was April and May this year. And um, if you had the full amount in there, it triggered payments for, for about 30 grand or so. For, for farmers, which may sound a lot for, you know, like a lot of money for you and I, but, uh, you know, for a hundred cow dairy that could cover some basic feed costs for you. It, it kind of seems like this might not be kind of like the one-stop shop solution to making sure that farmers aren't operating at too much of a loss at the end of the day, because it's not just feed that factors into the costs that the farmers are looking at to maintain their dairy farm. It's got to be labor. It's got to be maintenance of their herd and uh, just a myriad of other things as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But I think what um, to the best of the ability that the state and federal government can calculate on since every farm is so individually different, I think what the only options that they can calculate some kind of assistance could be, uh, you know, milk pricing and feed costs. Michelle says that there are also a handful of other insurance type programs available to dairy farmers to cover other things like crop and herd loss. Then, of course, what everybody else has heard of um, due to coronavirus, um, there's different programs like the Paycheck Protection Program which did help a lot of farmers because that was something that they could use to offset costs for payroll, rent, utilities, interest on mortgage, and it was forgivable, which really, really helped a lot of farms um, initially and with each rollout of the new coronavirus food assistance program package. So this Paycheck Protection Program is, is something that only started during the coronavirus? Correct. Yep. It was part of the coronavirus relief bill that came out initially. I believe it started in the spring of uh, 2020. The idea of um, the coronavirus packages being able to produce some kind of liquid funds available for farmers to kind of stimulate things where, you know, there there was kind of a stall in the market at that time. So they didn't have access to as much funds as they as they normally would. So these government programs were were very helpful. And then finally, there was the coronavirus food assistance program, which actually gave farmers direct payments for their commodities. So for milk, cows, crops, uh, things like that, that was a direct result of loss of income or revenue due to the coronavirus. So all these little pieces that were added up in order to offset 
loss of revenue during this whole time was extremely helpful. I think without those government programs, we would see a lot more hardships on dairy farms and, and, and farmers across the board. So to go back to what we were talking about previously with the price supports for, for dairy farmers, looking at the margin between you know cost of feed and price of milk, if, if that is getting employed as, as a coverage program across the board, it still might end up helping uh, larger corporate dairy farms more than small dairy farms by just raising the price of, of milk across the board. And now relatively the large dairy farms that have these economies of scale to their advantage could end up equally as ahead of these small dairy farms as they were before, but now just you know, they both get that same boost. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that I, I think Maine has a program where they have like a state uh, margin coverage program that gives larger coverage to smaller dairy farms. And that co- the amount of coverage, I think, kind of decreases as the farm gets larger and the farm can, uh, you know, afford to create more milk at a lower price. So. Do you know if there's anything like that or anything that's being considered like that in New York that would actually end up helping farmers like the ones we have in Sullivan County? I don't know of anything like that specifically in New York State. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think how you know it's it, I think how New York State goes about supporting farms per se in general, they do it in other ways other than specifically for that commodity. Um, like conservation easement programs, they, you know, the governor just rolled um, out new programs for that uh, this past year. Um, they offer uh, agriculture assessment, so reduction on property taxes um, based on farming. Okay. Um, ag districts, you know, like d- different programs, but yeah, they don't have anything specifically like that that Maine has or other states. Okay. You know, and um, yeah, I, I almost think there needs to be more lobbying, maybe through Farm Bureau or other um, entities, organizations to lobby for something like that to change, you know, because what we're seeing now, especially after all these additional payment options that were given out through like the coronavirus you know, uh, coronavirus food assistance program, you know, that, that did help these farms. I don't feel like these should go away, but I understand that there's only so much money in a pot to give. Right. So that leads me to believe that there needs to be some change. I hope, I hope we can figure it out sooner than later. You know, there are less dairy farms now than there ever have been, you know, in our County specifically. And, to be frank, the average age of farmer of, of our farmers is high, you know, so we want those new generation of farmers not to step into family debt, right? Mm-hmm. You want them to start off with the best possible way, you know, the best foot forward, their best opportunity and having some kind of um, assistance programs or transition programs for farmers, um, loans, grants, you know, things that can help them offset costs. 
I think it's very important. So Michelle talked about a bunch of avenues by which New York State and the federal government are working to support our dairy farmers. Even though if you're a dairy farmer, it sounds like there is still a lot to be desired from the policy end. And honestly, I still have some questions about how some of this dairy pricing stuff works. I mean, let's say we did create a more robust price support program. Is it possible that it would just artificially drive up demand for milk, which would then incentivize farmers to produce more milk and flood the market with too much milk? In turn, that could cause the price of milk to drop even more. Or maybe not, because milk pricing is actually just set by the government. With some of this stuff still feeling a little ambiguous, I decided to sit down with someone who has a direct hand in setting dairy policy. I'm Richard Ball. I am the New York State Commissioner of Agriculture and Markets, and also a farmer in Schoharie County, New York. My roots are back in uh, the corner of Delaware and Greene County, mm. a small town called Halkett Center, not too far from Margaretville and Fleischmann's. And uh, my grandparents uh, were dairy farmers. Uh, my mom would have been the fifth generation on that farm. They unfortunately sold their farm uh, when I was only about 10, 11 years old, I wasn't quite, quite ready to take over. So uh, I got out of high school, though, and I had uh, already decided when I was about seven, I wanted to be a farmer when I grew up. So I was lucky that way. I worked for a family who had been in dairy and then uh, wholesale potatoes and then direct marketing, et cetera. So I kind of got my education there. Uh, in 1993, I we had the optimism uh, and we bought our own farm in Schoharie, 13 miles from where I was born. And uh, today, that's almost 30 years ago now. So uh, I'm happy to see, even though I'm technically a first generation on that farm, uh, that we have three generations working there now. And uh, we raise a couple hundred acres of vegetables and have a direct market and uh, also a wholesale market. So. That's kind of my background. And uh, it was in uh, 2014 that I got a call um, from the governor asking me if I would consider taking this on. And uh, we had a long talk about New York and the state of agriculture in New York and some things that we could do to better connect the dots in the state. And uh, long story short, that's why I'm here today. I'd love to get into uh, a conversation about uh, dairy policy here in New York state. Sure. And one of the things that I have heard from, from farmers as, as one of the main points that, that they kind of struggle with in dairy farming is that the prices of dairy are all over the place. Um, and I know that milk pricing is from what I understand set mostly at the federal level, but I thought maybe you might be able to give us a better sense of 
of why milk prices would vary so strongly. I know last year, uh, the low was around $12 a hundredweight in New York, and the high was around $20 a hundredweight in New York. And you know, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like the demand for dairy, while it might change over long periods of time, seems like it's one of those things where this is a staple in people's households and it should say fairly consistent. So, you know, why would farmers see such fluctuations in the prices that they're getting? Yeah. Well, it's, it's obviously a little bit involved. There's a lot to it. I, I'm going to go back to uh, when I was a kid sitting at the breakfast table with my grandparents, the concerns about the price of milk were always front of mind. Um, the world has changed so much. You know, my grandfather had worried about his pastures, worried about his cows, uh, but milk, I mean, in those days, milk went into cans and was brought down to the creamery, which was in town, it was a couple of miles away. Hmm. Um, he didn't think about, as today's farmer need to do, what's the value of the U.S. currency against foreign dollars? He didn't think about what China was buying. He didn't have to think about what kind of year the European Union had. He didn't think about New Zealand. Uh, he didn't think about the Pacific Rim at all. He didn't think about Canada and Mexico either, which are our two largest milk and dairy customers. Um, so the world has changed. Um, somebody said to me, how big was your grandfather's farm? And uh, the way you could figure that out back in those days was, well, how many people could work on the farm? If it was my grandfather, my grandmother, and a hired man, um, they could eat, each milk 10 cows and they'd have 10 dried off. So they'd have 40 cows. Um, that's clearly not where we are today. 50 bushel of corn was pretty good, you know, and uh, how many pounds of milk he was getting doesn't compare to the 100 pound of milk per cow that so many of our farms average. So the world has changed. Um, and the price of milk is one of the most confusing things to try to figure out how that's determined. But ultimately for us in New York, it has an awful lot to do with those factors. What's the world doing now? It's a global issue. It's not just a, uh, a Sullivan County or a Delaware County issue. Uh, it's not just a New York State issue. It's not just a United States issue. It's a much bigger issue. Uh, the effect of our buying partners and their habits is, is so big. So I, I'm fortunate that I get to be involved in something called the Tri-National Accord, which is a conversation between uh, all the commissioners in the United States, uh, all the ministers of agriculture in Canada and the secretaries of agriculture in Mexico, from all the 32 states there. And we sit down every year and talk about trade. We talk about dairy policy. We talk about uh, phytosanitary and all kinds of things, but we get a chance to focus on the market in North America. And we're able to, I think, influence some things. Clearly when my grandfather farmed, it was a very local market. Delaware County, when I was a kid, was the largest dairy county in New York state, a number of farms, but they were small farms. Um, and today, uh, Delaware County is hardly on the map uh, in terms of dairy. Uh, the production has moved, it's consolidated. And so I think it's, a uh, We've seen a big change just in the last five, six years, actually, because 
Derry got into a habit of having a really good year, kind of mediocre year, and then a really bad year in terms of pricing. Mm. Dairy farmers really, the only control they had on their income was to be a member of their cooperative and advocate for certain policies uh, there. But if the price of milk was going down, farmers, the only tool they really had was to perhaps add more cows to try to use the same infrastructure and eke out a little more income, which of course, if you add more cows, you know, can create surpluses of milk, which can drive the price down. So on many farms, the only tool a farmer really had was to be as efficient, be a good manager and, and adjust the number of cows. Um, and clearly there needed to be a, a stronger tie to the, to the marketplace than that. We see in many, many cases, uh, young people that grew up on dairy farms and you know, adding another family to a farm uh, you know, takes that income that that farm is getting and divides that piece of pie a little bit smaller. So the only option was either to, to add more cows, expand a little bit if you want to bring a family member on. And in so many cases, I think the next generation just looked at this and said, this is kind of tough. This is a lot of work. It's seven days a week. I'm not sure how much money we're going to make because we don't control the market. Uh, we're kind of price takers. And maybe I'm going to go uh, find another career. So I think it's changed the complexion of dairy. But most recently, the last 10 years especially, we saw the global impact of surpluses of milk, not just New York, not just the United States. And that has really changed things. And so that three-year cycle, I think, that so many in the dairy industry got used to um, began to go away. And I think it became very obvious in, uh, in 2015 that we're in a different pattern. And uh, uh, Farm Credit, one of the largest lenders to dairy, uh, is certainly in, in this region, uh, called it the need for a dairy reset. You know, take another look at how we do business in the dairy industry. We can't count on a three-year cycle. Uh, we have a different situation with the world market of milk now, trade policies between countries being so much more important. Building off of that, in taking another look at what the dairy industry should really look like in terms of policy and whatnot, now that the market does look so different than it did just 10, 15, 20 years ago, what has that process looked like in New York? In spite of everything I said, if that sounded kind of dour, <laughs> uh, I'm very optimistic, frankly, uh, uh, and I'll tell you why. You know, uh, we see in the western part of the United States in particular, and certain countries, you know, uh, the movement towards larger dairies. Um, we see that there are 100,000 cow dairies in the United States of America. Wow. Um, we've got quite a range in New York. You know, we've got 10,000 cow dairies. We've got, you know, small farms with six or eight cows. We have a lot of 200 cow dairies, 100 cow dairies, you know, family farm size. Uh, we, we run the gamut. I don't think we're ever going to see 100,000 cow dairies in New York State. That's not that's not where we belong. Uh, that's typically in larger areas with uh, huge access uh, to inexpensive land and, and different cost of operation. But what we do have in New York State is great resources. 
we've got good land. We have access to water, which is pretty large. Uh, we've got uh, good farmers. Uh, we've got probably the best land grant system for education in the United States, um, particularly with regards to agriculture. Uh, Cornell University, the researchers and the technology and the advancements that are happening there. And our dairy industry is tuned into that. And on top of all of that, we have the most diverse and the biggest marketplace in the world uh, in our state and on the Eastern Seaboard. And the interest in not just fluid milk, because we've seen the school milk numbers slowly go a different direction. We've seen, you know, when, when, when I grew up, there was a gallon of milk on the table every meal. Um, patterns have changed, there's more competition there. People are drinking more bottled water, which seemed like a foreign concept to, you know, 50 years ago. Um, family size is smaller, uh, popular soda drinks, et cetera. There's a lot more competition in the marketplace. You, you go down the milk aisle, it's kind of a confusing place. Um, and you see the aisle of soda and other drinks is bigger than the dairy aisle. So those things have changed a little bit and yet we saw an explosion with Greek yogurt in New York, number one producer of Greek yogurt in the country. Uh, the interest in cheeses, and in New York State, we make some of the best cheese in the country. It's got a combination of the environment, the air, the temperatures, the, our, our forages, uh, our dairy farmers, what they've learned. We're really good at cheese. We're seeing a growth in the cheese world. We're seeing growth in the yogurt world. And I see uh, those niches, and they're bigger than niches right now, but I see those niches, uh, low-fat yogurt, high-fat yogurt, um, you know, all the drinks, kefir, et cetera. I see that as uh, a place where we can occupy some space in the marketplace. Um, so I'm optimistic. Uh, direct delivery to homes, direct delivery in uh, cream-lined milk again. Uh, things like that are, are exploring new marketplaces. We so, held a competition uh, last year in New York State for the best new idea in dairy. Uh, I think that's the direction we can go, and I think that's a place we can do well. I've seen a, an explosion. Another reason for my optimism is in local food. Who grew my food? Where did it come from? Um, I want to know who the farmer was. I want to know, you know, what kind of methods he used. I want to know how far away he is from my marketplace. I want to talk about food miles. Our restaurants all across the country and particularly in New York have really been our billboards for local food movement. If you went into a local, one of the high-end uh, restaurants in Manhattan 20 years ago, you got a very expensive meal that came from halfway around the world uh, that was totally out of season. Today, you go into that same number one, number two, number three restaurant, and you're going to find uh, where they talked about the farm in New York, where the lettuce came from, where the meat products came from, where the fruit came from. And uh, and they've really helped push the local food movement. And with that new level of conscientiousness about where food is coming from and uh, increase in demand for these value-added products like Greek yogurt or cheese, um, it seems like there would be an incredible, it would be an incredible boon to farmers to be able to access value-added 
machinery and infrastructure to, you know, have on their farm to get into these markets when even though milk might be declining over time, these other products are really in demand. So are there any programs either currently or maybe being discussed at the state level that would help dairy farmers, many of whom are, they're saddling a lot of debt, afford, you know, something like value-added machinery and whatnot for their farms, they can get into that. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about a couple of things. Um, Number one, uh, I was in a cabinet meeting one time and the governor looked over at me and the commissioner of health and said, "Um, what are our standards in New York for growing food? No, so well, we have USDA standards, you know, it's USDA grade A, et cetera. But what we were getting at was how do we differentiate New York in the marketplace from anywhere else? And that was the beginning of a new marketing and brand for New York State agricultural products, which has come to be known as New York Grown and Certified. So there's three things there. Um, one is New York Grown and Certified, when you see that label, it says it's from New York. So it satisfies that local. Um, but every state has a local program. You know, every state has a hooray for us program. Uh, so what would be different from us? Number two, we talk about food safety. That farm has food safety embedded, an audited program to look at the food safety on that farm. So the consumer can know there's food safety practices there. And thirdly, it has an environmental a stewardship aspect to it, uh, agriculture, environmental management, the way they handle water and nutrients. So that makes it separate and above. The only state that has these three criteria is New York. So along with that, let's tell the consumers in New York State, look for New York grown and certified because it means these three things. And what we're doing to support that is we put in place grants to help farms Maybe they need some stainless steel. Maybe they need a larger cooler. Maybe they need a packing house. Maybe they need to change their operation so that they can produce New York grown and certified products for the marketplace uh, in the hope that we are going to demand um, a bigger market. We're also going to demand a better price because people can feel good about those things. Uh, We have almost half our dairy farms enrolled through their cooperatives in the grown and certified program. And uh, it's been awesome. And so, you know, there's one avenue. Um, Another avenue, and really is front of mind right now because of COVID-19, is the Nourish New York program. Uh, As you know, when the COVID-19 pandemic really hit us, we saw crazy things going on in the grocery stores. Um, And unfortunately, we saw equally crazy things going on in farms. Um, First couple of weeks, couldn't keep bottled milk in the grocery store shelves. I know one of our larger cooperative had to reroute 300 trailer loads of raw milk away from going to a cheese plant or a powder plant back to a fluid milk plant. And then three weeks later, they were full and they were dumping milk. Hmm. We had farmers dumping milk and we had people that couldn't get access to product. Uh, So quickly we set up literally in one week, the Nourish New York program where the traditional um, distribution system had to change because half of what we produce in New York goes into the food service world, goes to restaurants, goes to brokers who sell there, goes to institutions, schools, and suddenly that was shut down. We rerouted that food to the food bank system, the 10 regional food banks, pantries that they deal with. 
and we began to buy uh, product from New York farmers. We spent every day talking with every food bank, giving them a list of all the farmers in New York state that had extra apples, extra potatoes, extra onions, extra carrots, extra milk. And we were able to connect dots. And now you're seeing this program just a huge win uh, for the farmers on one end of the food supply chain and for consumers on the other end. And I think the lessons we learned there as consumers and as farmers is that New York uh, doesn't want to rely on another state or another country or another region if we have a pandemic, if we have a crisis in our food supply, we need to have the things that we need to stay alive, um, ready. So I, I'm I'm excited about that connection right there, and I think that's gonna that's gonna help our whole world. In terms of low interest loans, or or even no interest loans, or, or grants, or anything like that, in terms of helping farmers get on that track to producing these products that are significantly in demand. Is there anything that's being set up in New York to, to aid in that? We've had, uh, I'm fortunate to say, we've had a great relationship in New York with Empire State Development, which is our mm-hmm. investment arm. Um, they're looking to attract you know, businesses to come to New York State, build that new factory, build that new enterprise here in New York State. Um, they can offer tax incentives and grants and things like that to help that happen. So agriculture, we've been able to get uh, a good relationship going there. We've been able to help expand dairy processing facilities that can create those niche markets. Um, actually, uh, prior to 2020 and COVID-19, the prior two years, we invested in New York $50 million in rehabbing dairy plants, hmm. expanding dairy operations that could process uh, dairy uh, in a new way or a more marketable way. So I think we've got, uh, you know, we've got that relationship with Empire State Development. And particularly now is we, we're going to have a transition year in, <clears throat> excuse me, 2020. And uh, I think we're going to be able to look at what we've learned over the last few years <clears throat> and look at building back better in a new way. Along the way, you know, New York has a very aggressive farmland protection program where you know typically in a in our budget cycle we've invested 17 or 18 million dollars over the last several years to invest in protecting farmland in New York state and 2 years ago we looked at a program specifically for dairy um, and we called it a dairy transitions program so uh, a dairy farm could create an easement on their farm you know by the sale of uh, development rights and take that funding to create a new crop on the farm, transition to the next generation on the farm, transition to a different way of doing business on the farm. It was enormously successful. We've invested uh, about $60 million so far in that. Hmm. Process is quick and it's enabled an awful lot of farms to look at the next generation or the next future crop that they're gonna produce on that farm. There's opportunities there that have been enormously successful that we're going to keep working on.
A few years ago, I I happened to have a chance to speak to a different state's commissioner of of <laughs> agriculture about uh, dairy, and, and I remember him saying that one of the big issues he saw with dairy farmers is that not an issue with dairy farmers specifically, but an issue that they kind of bump up against is that when prices that they're getting for dairy are low, they're kind of incentivized naturally to produce as much milk as possible in order to, uh, you know, make sure they're not running at too much of a loss. When prices are really good for milk, they're going to try to, you know, they're incentivized to produce as much as possible to try to walk away with a profit at the end of the day. And so with um, something like the market for dairy milk, maybe in somewhat of a decline over time, how do you kind of circle that square? And I imagine that it's it's not an easy one to do so with, but it seems like if farmers are, are just kind of always incentivized to produce as much milk as possible, regardless of what's happening with the market, you're going to end up flooding the market with potentially too much milk driving prices down, which would hurt farmers at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's something every dairy farmer will readily confess to hmm. that, you know, if the price is high, you add cows. If the price is low, you add cows. The, right. the answer can't be to always add cows. And we got away with it for a long time um, because, um, you know, the world market could handle it. But now the world market, now we're competing with foreign countries in a big way. And you got to worry about all those things like the value of currency and what kind of year did the European Union have or how much is China's buying. But <clears throat> I think what we do have here is the opportunity to target in a, in a more niche way, what does our market want? Um, every one of the cooperatives uh, in the state now is looking at controlling a little bit their production of their farmers uh, based on the market demands. Um, a farmer could simply add cows anytime he wanted to and bring it to his cooperative, more milk every year. And, you know, the market was growing in a way that all the cooperatives would take that milk and they found a place for it to go and the price would fluctuate. But now the cooperatives are saying, you know what, you know, Farmer Brown, you brought me a million pounds of milk last year. I don't want a million and a half pounds of milk this year because I have no place for it to go. So, um, so they're instituting some, uh, it's not really a quota system, but they're introducing some market controls to say, don't just add cows. Um, and so, well, what do you do? Well, let's look for some value added opportunities. And this is where a farmer has an opportunity to talk to his cooperative. Um, let me add uh, more efficient ways for me to do business on the farm. Let me figure out how to transition and add another crop. Let me look at perhaps capturing methane on my farm and producing it into a renewable natural gas. Let me capture that methane and turn it into electricity so I can become more efficient. Um, let me look at those kinds of issues. Let me talk to my cooperative about maybe expanding processing facilities here in New York to produce the kind of things that we have an opportunity for in this marketplace. So um, that's smart. That's a maturation in the industry, frankly. Uh, that's a level of understanding. Um, you see today's farmer, uh, he's very different from my grandfather. My grandfather was a great farmer. 
Uh, he loved his cows and he knew his land. But today's farmer has to do more than love his cows and know his land. He has to um, also understand the marketplace and be able to uh, contribute in a bigger way, in a more meaningful way. I know that there are several other states in the in the Northeast that have some form of dairy farmer assistance program set up, and, and certainly not all of them. But uh, for example, I know Maine has has set up a like a tiered program that helps to close the gap between the cost of production and milk price for different sizes of farms. Small farms having a higher cost of production than larger farms, um, and so it helps kind of keep those smaller farms competitive by by making up for the difference between the the production cost and, and the price that farmers are getting for milk. Is there anything either that exists or maybe there's been discussions about uh, in terms of setting up a program like this to kind of institute something along the lines of these price supports to, to help keep farmers afloat? Two things there. One is that, you know, we've kind of chosen the path in New York of looking at uh, um, supporting, uh, expanding the processing capacity in the state and exploring the market opportunities right here in our state, uh, the New York Corona Certified Program and investments in manufacturing uh, uh, processes here in the state. I'm encouraged at the federal level um, in, the, in the last farm bill, we saw improvements in the dairy margin uh, coverage. Uh, that we encourage farmers to look at very closely. There's some tools there. And I think finally we got it right uh, on the federal level where a farm could elect to participate and ensure against uh, bad milk prices by looking uh, at this program. And I think it's worked out quite well, you know, for the farmers that participated in it. It has to do with looking at the price of milk and then the cost of feed and the cost of producing that milk. And you can insure yourself against a margin that's over a certain number. Uh, and that has been a huge help uh, to our farmers uh, in the state. There's other tools federally, and those are things that I think we have to look at in a, in a close way. Back here again in New York State, I've got a map of New York on my wall, and I kind of tease all the deputy commissioners up here and staff that that's my world map. Hmm. So... How do we do a better job for all our farmers in this state? And, you know, obviously dairy being the largest part of that. So I see a great avenue there is let's connect in a better way to our schools. You know, the farm to school effort. We have grown the farm to school effort every year for the last several years. Let's get New York kids in the habit of eating healthier foods uh, early on and foods from New York. Uh, the commissioner from health, he knows he's going to have better health outcomes if kids learn that eating habits uh, in a good way earlier on. Uh, I know we're going to have better economic results when, you know, for example, the, the high school, Scary Central School, it's two miles from my farm. If they're using product that's grown in the Scary Valley in that menu, then those kids are going to have a good head start. Um, we're going to have a healthier economy locally. But more importantly, the young people, uh, who grow up in New York State will know what's available in terms of career paths and not just assume they have to leave a rural community and go to a city to find a job. Um, not many people farm, but when you include the rest of the food system, manufacturing, research, genetics, transportation, the restaurant end, the broker end, you wind up with 
you know, uh, the majority of jobs in the food system. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And to keep that going, we've kind of charged uh, the Dairy Promotion Order Board with looking at new ideas for how to market milk in New York State. Uh, I have brought together a group we call the Milk Marketing Advisory Council, dairy farmers, all the cooperatives, all the economists, Cornell University, uh, farmers, Farm Bureau. And we sit down, we meet several times a year to talk about what's going on in the dairy industry. How can we help as a state? Uh, where do you see the trends going? Uh, what are you doing uh, to support your dairy farmers? How can we help you do that? So I feel like we got a pretty good dialogue going there. And uh, I think uh, for those reasons, I remain optimistic about the future of dairy in New York State. Well, Commissioner Ball, thank you so much for joining me on the program. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you want to add about maybe the direction of dairy policy here in New York over the next 20, 30 years and why maybe your argument for dairy farmers uh, being as optimistic as you are for uh, what, what the future is looking like? I'm not entirely convinced dairy farmers are as optimistic as I am. <laughs> Although I will say, um, stay tuned because, you know, uh, a year ago I brought in um, some of the best dairy farmers that I've had the opportunity to work with here as commissioner and uh, kind of as a think tank. You know, where do you see these are very progressive farms? These are guys that are thinking about the next generation on their farm. These are guys that understand the world marketplace. And uh, some of them are processors, some of them are, are dairy farmers. Uh, and we just kind of said, blue sky, guys. Uh, where do we want to be in 10 years? Uh, where do we want to be in 20 years? What kind of market are we going to look at? These are the best and brightest. Uh, and uh, they encourage me. I think we can have in New York the most sustainable dairy industry in the country. I think we've got the right ingredients, as I mentioned earlier, between our environment here, you know, the good land, the good think tank that exists, Cornell University and our land grant system all across the state, our access to water and our access to this market. I think we're going to refine that. And uh, so stay tuned because uh, they're still thinking. That certainly gives us a lot to think about. I think that one of my takeaways from these discussions about dairy farming is that, as we see with so many of the other issues we're dealing with in our community, it takes the energy and willingness to communicate with each other, but also to get creative and ask hard questions about if our current solutions are actually tackling the problems we want to solve or just treating the symptoms. At the end of the day, it seems like a lot of the problems we're stuck with are a result of a systematic failure of imagination. And so we'll end this episode on a high note with a new committee of farmers at the Department of Ag and Markets asking how would we help our dairy farmers if the sky was the limit? I am excited to keep an eye on what they come up with, and I look forward to coming back to this subject in the future, hopefully with good news. That's our show for today. Thank you so much to New York State Agriculture and Markets Commissioner Richard Ball and Sullivan County Cornell Cooperative Extension Agriculture Educator Michelle Prosha for taking the time to share their expertise here on the program. 
I'm Leif Johansson, this is Close to Home, and you're listening to WJFF Radio Catskill. See you next week.